welcome to Two Boomer Women. I'm your host, Agnes Knowles. I've been talking with Boomer women for almost a decade now. (laughs) Well, I guess I've been talking to Boomer women all my adult life. Uh, Reinventing myself several times along the way, though, but always focused on us, Boomer women. With this incarnation of Two Boomer Women, I'll be interviewing other women who have a message of interest for our demographic. If you want to hear about or learn about something specific, let me know and I'll find someone who understands us to talk about it. There's a contact page at twoboomerwomen.com. If you want to be a guest on Two Boomer Women, bring it on. There's an application form at the website, too. Finally, this show is all about conversation. We women know its value. We know how to do it and we must perpetuate the art form. So, let's get started with today's show. Welcome to the Two Boomer Women Podcast. I'm your host, Agnes Knowles. I love being on this side of the microphone with this podcast. I get approached by people who want to be guests, and I seek people out who might be good guests. Sometimes I really have to dance around to find out an angle that'll work, And sometimes the connection to boomer women is really obvious. Today's guest is the latter. Here's a few hints. She's a glam grandma. She introduces herself as a snarky grandma who doesn't own a restaurant, isn't a reality star, TV star, doesn't have a medical degree, and doesn't particularly like to cook. That said, she's written a book called Brownies for Breakfast. And okay, I'll be honest, her bio said she'd been creative director at Ian J. Gallo Winery. I am so looking forward to a great conversation today. Lynn Bowman, welcome to the Two Boomer Women podcast. I am so happy to be here, Agnes. This is big fun. I love talking to women like me. There we go. (laughs) I'm not quite as glam, but that's another matter. Your background is even more random than mine. It's certainly more glam. It goes without saying. Tell us about Lynn Bowman and her creative series of careers. Well, first of all, we're old. You know, I think of myself as older than dirt. And I, and I say that in a loving, caring way. I say that but all that the time. Means we've done a lot of stuff, yeah, right? Yeah. And, and when we were starting out in the 60s, you didn't have a career path or a plan or whatever, because there were like four things that were okay for women to do. And I don't know about you, but I didn't want to do any of those things. I wanted to do something way more fun than, than be, to my mind, a secretary or a nurse or whatever. You know, I just, that wasn't where I wanted to go. So, and I didn't know where I wanted to go either. I don't know about you, but um, so I just made a series, decades of uh, uh, mistakes, failures, you know, adventures, fun, some of which turned into good things and good memories and money. And some of which turned into, you know, another side of the coin. But in those days, we, we were in, not discouraged from failure because we were women. So what are you going to do? <laughs> you, know? you just, you're going to go out and fall on your butt in some way or other, and hopefully get up, dust yourself off and learn from it. So, and I grew up, I am a Californian born and bred. I actually was born in Hollywood and grew up around the movie entertainment industry. So that was a lot of what, you know, the little odd jobs, the thing where your girlfriend would say, well, I'm doing a trade show. Do you want to do it? Oh, sure. Okay. I can do that. And, or I've got this little part in a movie. Yeah, I can do that. No, no problem. You know, we did all kinds of things and I always said, yeah, okay, whatever. Sounds like fun, you know? And 
So I did makeup and, and helped people with their scripts and did whatever and, and wound up doing some things that now I scratch my head and go, how did that even happen? I don't know. But we, we did stuff we, because we didn't have a plan not to do stuff, right? We, most of us back in the day, I mean, things like the young ladies now don't understand that when I graduated from high school, in 1964, you couldn't go to Harvard because it was not co-ed. You know, the, the world was not available to us the way it is available to women now. I, I can remember thinking, oh, you know, I could be a cop. I could be PR person for the, and I went to apply and they said, oh, no, no, you have to be 5'7". What? Well, of course I was like five, still am, 5'4". So that was a neat way to exclude women from the police force. And by the way, it's still going on. We have something like 12% of the women in our police forces, 12%. And yet we have science statistics that tell us very clearly that the more women that are in a department, the better the function is of that department in every measurement that they have. Just dropping that, by the way. So, yeah, it was a different world when when we came roaring out in the 60s and wanted to light everything on fire for obvious reasons and did. <laughs> we we put matches under some stuff, you know, <laughs> and I'm still wearing it. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So I've done a lot of different things and um, some of it I think back fondly about and some of it I go what in the hell was I thinking you know that a marriage or two right <laughs> <laughs> but I think even the bad stuff puts you where you are today so I it mean does. no regrets yeah yeah yeah, yeah. okay I, I've got to get this out of the way right up front how does one become the creative director for a well-established winery and what does she do okay Agnes it was the worst job I ever oh, had no. It was awful because in Gallo, I don't know if they still are, but at the time they were the largest winery in the world in Modesto, California. And uh, being a person who appreciated and loved wine, and they were at the time really pushing their varietals. They were trying to get out of this sort of street wine business and into the then burgeoning varietal wine business. And so, um, and they wooed me. I mean, oh my gosh, I was working for an agency, advertising agency in um, San Jose, and we were doing all kinds of great groundbreaking stuff for technology. And so um, I was, was wined and dined by the Gallo recruiter, and they bought my house, and they would, said they'd educate my kid. I mean, they gave me all this great stuff. And I arrived to realize that I would be the only woman in management. And the place was still being run by the two old Italian brothers, Ernest and Giulio, who had created it and always run it. And then you realize they own everything they see, right? It's like this feudal empire, all the grapes in the whole state, you know, and, and a lot of the real estate in the state they own. So I very quickly learned that they didn't, they weren't particularly interested in me doing anything. They had a power, well, where I worked that was locked and I was not allowed to have anyone in their family, nobody. 
was all secret because they were very concerned about keeping their strategy secret. So it was a job where I was asked to do virtually nothing. And we don't realize what torture that is yeah, until I do. it becomes a reality. Have you ever been in that kind of a situation? Um, I've been in almost the opposite situation where I'm run off my feet and I've never been happier. Working hard is not misery. If you're doing something that matters, that you care about, that you feel comp- something, but just being told, no, no, that's okay. Don't, don't trouble yourself. Don't do yeah. anything. If you've never experienced it, and I never would have thought so because I had three little kids at home and, you know, so on. And yet here I was now, my professional life was just, no, no, don't, you just, just sit there. Your soul dies. Awful. So that's my gallow story. And I, and I rather quickly went back to Silicon Valley after that and um, took a job of VP in an agency that blew up in a matter of weeks. Another one of those things where you think, oh man. But I sat and my sister lived in Santa Clara at the time. And I sat down on her couch and probably lit a Marlboro in those days. And I said, what the heck am I going to do? And she said, pick up the phone. She said, everybody needs what you're doing. You're a writer, you're a copy, pick up the phone and see if any of your friends, whatever need. And I did. I just picked up the phone. And that afternoon, I was in business. I started my own creative services business just by picking up the phone and calling people and saying, hey, what do you need? And and so I had a very good business from that point on. That was 1987. I had a very good business of my own, which meant that I could be mostly at home when my kids were young teenagers, which is Ladies, if you've had children, you know that even more important than being home when they're teeny tiny, you want to be there when they're pre-adolescent, adolescent. You want to be that mom who is actually present in the home if you can manage it. So that worked out and I was able to do, and my kids all knew that when the phone rang, no matter what was going on, they stopped. The noise, you know, it was like, Lynn Bowman Creative Services, <laughs> and everything just stopped because that business was paramount in our house to everything else that went on. That was our bread and butter. Uh, and that was a good lesson for the kids to, to learn early. I think your, your parenting skills and mine were very comparable. So uh, just I sit here nodding my head, nodding my head. Uh, I just want to go back briefly to what a lost art picking up the phone is. Isn't it? Yeah. I yeah. mean... Boy, things have changed. Things have so changed. If I say that to someone now, they go like, pardon? And it's like, I'll email. And I mean, how much is lost in an email? Like, so much. Well, and, uh, and gained. I mean, you know, we, we, the, here we are, you and I talking in a way that we couldn't have imagined talking five years ago, yeah. right? Three years ago, maybe. And I don't know about you, but the whole podcasting thing, was not on my radar. I wasn't listening to podcasts. I wasn't paying any attention to podcasts because we're boomers. We're too old. We're not the market. And so when I published this book and it became clear that this was what I needed to do to podcast, to talk about the book, publicize it, I thought, okay, I'll, I'll play along. Well, who knew that this would end up being the most fun thing? It's so fun. 
I'll agree with you there. That's yeah, it's great. And it's interesting just with the the podcast that I was walking recently with someone that I didn't know well, and I had we do this every Tuesday morning, and I had missed a couple of weeks, and she said, "Oh, were you you know something about clients?" And I said, "No, I was interviewing." Or actually, she that's what. I said, I was interviewing and she said, oh, looking for more clients. And I said, no, no, it was for the podcast. And she went, what podcast? So I told her and she says, oh, my God, I listen to podcasts all the time. I'm going to go look yours up because she's a boomer woman. She was really excited about it. But I think more and more it's becoming, especially as we get out walking and doing stuff, you know, we're catching on. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. Okay, let's move on to the focus of this chat. Can you tell us a little bit about your health history um, and how that started you on your current path? Please. I am happy to do that because it goes back to, and, and the difference in my life, Agnes, was that I found out early that I was type 2 diabetic. So many people don't know this because it's it doesn't present symptoms. It, it isn't obvious until you go and get tested and have a hemoglobin A1C, which is kind of the state of the art now, how you measure your blood glucose over a period of years. And since I'm probably talking to almost entirely boomer women right at this moment, y'all know this, but your husbands, your sons, your brothers are almost impossible to drag to the doctor's office unless they're bleeding to death from something or have something so obvious and annoying that they just have to get it dealt with. So what happens is, is particularly bad with men not being tested, not being seen until all this damage has occurred internally. So going back to, I had gestational diabetes, which now people are kind of familiar with what that is back in the day. It wasn't talked about. It wasn't discussed. And Furthermore, what the docs, all men at the time, said to me was, well, so you had gestational diabetes, it looks like, because your son was 10 pounds and you gained 60 pounds. They didn't even test me. Now they test pregnant women, uh, you know, and, and find this out. And they said, you will probably develop type 2 diabetes at some point, maybe in your early 40s. Okay, so that information went in. That combined with the fact that my mother had died when I was 18. So... My life had been so as even it doesn't matter when your mother dies, it's a big momentous change in our lives. But in my case, at the age of 18, the home I'd grown up with, my dog, my dad, my everything was gone because of when it occurred. My siblings were off. My dad started a new life. The house was gone. Everything was gone. So at the age of 18, I was standing out there literally with my luggage on the lawn. Um, and I was feral at that point. And so I understood very well, up close and personal, what chronic disease did. What it does is it destroys your family. It destroys your wealth. It destroys everything in your life. And so when I had children, it was so clear to me that if I was going to have this chronic disease, I was going to deal with it, manage it. I was going to do whatever I had to do. And, and I had a difficult marital situation. I had to run away when the kids were two, three, and four from a violent, addicted husband, a veteran. You know, that's a whole other story that many women our age understand. 
And so there I was, single mom, kids, two, three, and four. I knew that I needed to stay on my feet. I knew I needed to stay strong. And so I resolved at that point that I was going to do everything I could do to stay strong because none of the other stuff mattered if I wasn't on my feet, if I couldn't manage. And so I went looking for information. I read everything I could. I watched the you know, shows. I, I asked people. And what I learned was that there was really nothing out there. The American Diabetes Association, the heart, that was all BS. It was not good information. It wasn't presented well. It didn't make any sense to me. What they told you was, well, keep your carbs down. Try not to eat sugar and lose weight. That was the information right there. So um, through the next decades, as I raised my kids and cooked for them and cooked for myself and tried to understand, and I went through every diet program, as we ladies do, I mean, every single one. And I, I talk in the book about the progression of this, I hope in a humorous and charming way. I hope you'll agree and enjoy it. Um, but it was, it was this crazy succession of don't eat this and never eat that. And you have to, you know, I, I went through all of that and somehow managed to stay on my feet and keep my weight at a reasonable place. But it's only been really in the last few years that I've had the time and, and energy and focus to do more research. And there's so much more science out there now about glucose and and the cellular biology of all of it and about fasting which is another really super fascinating aspect of this which i hope we have time to talk about a little bit because particularly for type 2 diabetics it's miraculous what they always told us was eat all the time eat small meals eat often wrong that's not good information so now we know so the progression then that you were looking for goes back from having been this 18-year-old out on the sidewalk with nothing, except the knowledge that chronic disease was a thing we didn't want. And it's progressed from that point to now. The last statistic that I saw was that 88% of Americans, and I think we can probably sweep Canadians for the most part into that, have chronic disease. And of that chronic disease, and that includes type 2 diabetes, heart disease, other things, but nearly all of it is preventable or reversible. And just take that in for a minute. And we're always talking about our healthcare system and the expenses and so on. Imagine the savings of grief and money if you would just prevent it or reverse it, not have it anymore. And you can actually do that. It's not crazy. It's, it's, it's doable just by committing to eating in a healthier way. And I can tell you exactly how and moving as you know, and sleeping. And the only way that you can get proper sleep is to have your eating healthy and be moving. So it's these things that all need to work in concert for maximum health. But yeah, that's, that's how you fix the healthcare system. You, you don't need it. You try not to have to go. 
I listened to a lot of talk radio, and it was just this morning up here in Canada. I'm in the on the west coast, British Columbia. We have such a shortage of doctors, and of course, they're all talking about the elderly people. You know, like the over sixty fives, those <laughs> old old people, old like you. people, exactly. Right. You know, and I'm thinking it was only last week that I was seated with a bunch of people my age having coffee because we just climbed up the mountain and back down, you know, and this is the new reality. And I think the medical system is still working on like our grandparents' generation where, yeah, you were old and frail and probably diseased by 65 because you were going to die at age 70. And they really need to review the model. And I think I have an article coming up (laughs) that I, I need to write but they need to really look at the fact that most of us are a lot healthier than our predecessors. So let's work at keeping it that way and, and working at it on a health model instead of a sickness model. And Agnes, there's this whole cohort of us boomer women coming into the world. I don't know about you, but I've never been happier. Being older than 70 is fantastic. It's great because you leave a lot of crap behind. You just do, Right. It just doesn't matter anymore. And yet you're still hopefully strong, vital, in a decent situation. So you can enjoy so much more than you ever did. I mean, I think, I suspect like you, I worked my buns off for so long. You know, work had to be top priority uh, because we needed the income. And my kids are now all in their 40s. My grandma, I have a six-month-old grandson, new grandson, who is, yes, the cutest baby in the entire universe. No, 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 second cutest. My three-month-old grandson is cuter. Okay, well, we need to take (laughs) their pictures, but man, are they cute, right? They're just the best. And that's what life is all about, and it should be all about. It's great. If you're healthy, if you can take care of yourself financially to some degree, if you have enough, which I like to say to people, we have enough. We do. And that's all you need is enough. But when it comes to your health, maybe you need a little more than enough. You need real good (laughs) to to really enjoy everything. Uh, You need to be able to climb that mountain and um, go roller skating and get on that bicycle, whatever else, dance, you know, whatever else makes you happy. You need to move. And and I think, sorry, I'll just interject for a second, because just to complete the picture, I'm finding that more and more women our age are giving themselves permission to make sure all parts of their lives are, are healthy in terms of relationships and things like that as well, where they're saying, yeah, I am healthy. I'm 70 and I'm healthier, 65 and healthy, except for this one piece of my life that isn't healthy. And, you know, I never recommend divorce, but if it, that's what's necessary or moving on from a to- any toxic relationships. So many of us have eaten our words for so long, you know, have just dealt with whatever was handed to us with, you know, the cards that we had so many of us have survived that way. And part of the beauty for sure of being this age is you can hopefully be wiser now and go, you know what? I'm done. <laughs> That's enough of that. And I'm going to do that instead. Um, and I, um, I'm, 
happily married, happy to say. But when I met my husband, I was 40. He was 29. And he was so not the kind of guy I had been used to seeing, knew anything about, whatever. And I was, he was adorable. And one of the first things he said to me was, try a nerd, you'll never go back. And he was right. And part of the joy, I think, of maturing is that we change our idea about what is attractive and wonderful in relationships. And um, I'm happy to say that it's worked pretty well since we were married in 89. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Wow, that is great. Well, I'm happily single. So we're sort of the the two two ends of the... Which is fun, you know, isn't it great that you're cool? It's yeah. fun. There was a time when women who got divorced were shut out of the country club. You know, they were no longer welcome in society or whatever. And now I, I'm about the only one of my friends who is married. Hmm. Most of, uh, I mean, many of the gentlemen have moved on to another plane, but I have a number of friends in different kinds of relationships and not necessarily marriages. Some are, some aren't. But how great that we get to choose and it's just fine. It's exactly. okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to apologize. My dog does this from time to time. I don't know if you can hear her. I think most, most of my listeners are. I'm, a, I'm surprised you can't hear him snoring. I have a, a big old snow dog right over here um, who, who's drooling on the floor and snoring. <laughs> Mine's getting older and she's really gained her voice. So she'll oh. just stand in a room and bark as though it's like, well, why don't you come in here? Because I'm here. I'm tired of going where okay, you are. Okay, so boomer dog. Okay. Yeah, oh, yeah, there you go. Thank you for that. <laughs> oh, it explains a lot. Okay, um, let's go back to diet. You, I'm looking at you. You are a glam grandma. Tell us about your current diet Like what that, that's worked for you. I'd be happy to. And because what I want people to understand is it's not complicated. It's real food, whole food, mostly plants. That's it. So I do not eat meat. And what I found is that that works very well for my health, for my hemoglobin A1C. By when I stopped eating meat, my hemoglobin A1C dropped substantially. And there are a lot of cellular reasons why, and maybe we can talk about that next time, but uh, it works. So I don't, I eat salmon and I eat some shrimp, but no, no meat and don't miss it. And I don't miss the mess either. It's great. So I, I eat some brown rice pasta but for the most part, try not to eat any processed, any kind of flour or any type. Um, I eat vegetables, a lot of vegetables, more vegetables, green vegetables, red, pink, orange vegetables. And I eat vegetables two times, three times a day. But one of the big changes I've made in my diet that I want everyone to hear about because it's so important. It's so dramatically effective is I don't eat at night. I eat from about eight in the morning until about two in the afternoon. That's it. Done. 
And it's called intermittent fasting. It's called time-restricted eating. It's called lots of things. But what it is, is allowing a period of at least 18 hours between your last meal and your next meal. And what that does is it starts this process called, and you may know this word, but I love it. I love to say it because it's new to me, autophagy, which is this process of our cells. It it literally means self-eating. But what it means in your body is that your cells clean everything up. They clean themselves up. They clean up the bits and pieces of the cells that have, you know, stopped functioning and are dead. It's cleanup. It's just like out on the highway at night when the traffic has all gone home and that crew comes out and does the cleanup and the broom and the shovel and all that stuff. You have to take the traffic away for the crew to be able to clean. And your body functions exactly that same way. You have to stop shoveling pizza in in order for your natural processes to take place to clean your innards. And what that does is it it cleans out inflammation, it cleans out the plaque in your veins, it cleans out all the yucky stuff you don't want. But in order to do that, you need to stop eating for a certain length of time. And it's a new habit. The first couple of times you do it, you'll go, wait, wow, you know, but it works. And my hemoglobin A1C is now down lower than it's been in many, many, many years. And in fact, I'm just kind of bumping down into not being diabetic anymore, which is a combination of eating real food, good food and nourishing myself well, and then not eating all the time. Just to just go back to that fasting bit. Did you have to wean yourself onto that? Like to go 18 hours? No, it's surprisingly easy because when you think about it, if you stop eating at two or three in the afternoon, then it's about 18 hours until the next morning at eight or nine or 10. So some people like to do this so that they can eat like a lunch kind of thing. And then a supper kind of thing, maybe with their family at six or seven. And then they don't eat again until the next day at lunch. That's 18 hours. All you're doing is all, all our lives we've been told, eat your breakfast. Breakfast is the most important meal. So a lot of people are relieved when they learn, no, no, don't, don't worry about breakfast. Don't have breakfast. Skip it. Huh? Yeah, just skip it. It's okay. And then eat good food, real food, whole food, but eat some at one or two in the afternoon and 11 or 12, and then some at four or five, six in the afternoon, keep your eating in a six hour period. If you can something like that. And then it's 18 hours before you eat again. And you won't even, what you'll notice it, and boomers, darlings, our age, we, in most cases, aren't responsible for making a big dinner for other people that the whole mom thing is in our history So you have the luxury of not cooking dinner, which, woohoo, right? That's great. It means you can finish, you can have a lovely lunch, whatever you're going to call it, at one, two in the afternoon, take your time, enjoy it, clean it up, you're done. It's done. And you won't even miss really eating later. 
because it just means all that clean, all that cooking, everything you don't have to do. Write a novel, learn the tango, have some fun because you will not have to be in the kitchen worrying about what you're going to eat or cleaning it up. I find it very liberating myself. I mean, after having cooked and cleaned, right, for so many decades, to be able to say to yourself, no, I'm good. It's all right. I don't need that. And you will feel energy as a result. You will feel, most people report feeling better than ever by not eating all day and specifically not eating at night. Because the other thing that does is it allows you, assuming you're doing the things you already know to do, you've got a good bed, you, you make your bedroom quiet at night, if you possibly can, turn off all the beeping and the, light and the little red lights, everything dark, quiet, cool, you should be able to sleep. If you have not eaten since two, three in the afternoon, you are going to sleep the best you've slept in a long time because that's what your body wants. It does not want to be processing food. It wants to be sleeping and doing its autophagy. <laughs> Love that word. And it can only do that if you stop shoveling food in long enough. So, so you will gain sleep benefits and you will get a lot of good things are going to happen in your body uh, just by regulating when you eat. And people, you know, the whole keto and paleo thing lately, everyone's talked about, you think about it, your paleolithic ancestors weren't eating three or four meals a day. They were not eating pizza and watching Jimmy Kimmel at night. They were not. They were not eating every day. They ate when they could find food. And so their whole system and yours, which has not evolved a great deal beyond theirs, is geared, designed to go without food. It's okay. It's fine. And it needs to go without food to some degree to function well. And most of our problems, chronic disease, a lot of other problems are because we're not only eating crap, wrong stuff, but we're eating it way too often, too much, too often. So that could be a big one for anyone listening who, who feels like they want to take a next step to really feel better, more energy, stronger, especially Agnes, if it's your friends who are working out and, and moving and climbing the mountains with you, um, experiment with changing when you eat. It can be huge. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that because I'm the type of person that if, if I don't have something to eat at around a dinner hour is if I go to bed hungry, I'm not going to sleep. So to have a little bit of something at least, you know, five, six o'clock, I can get to sleep just fine. And it's way easier for, for me. I mean, every body is different to then fast into my morning. Yes. Um, and we is. are different. You're so yeah, right. Yeah. And so you need to find what works for your system. Absolutely. And in your case, it might be your six hour window is like noon to six yeah. kind of thing. So you know that already, which is great, but I, I would encourage anybody listening, if, if they don't already, if they haven't discovered this, to find out what their ideal schedule is for eating. Because one of the big joys of being this age is you can make your own schedule in most cases. 
You can figure it out for yourself and you can eat when you need to eat, not when junior and uncle and, you know, everybody else needs to eat. We have spent so much of our lives doing what everybody else needs. So here you go. This one's for you, baby. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a nice stage to be at. As you say, like the kids are gone and all that stuff. I used to joke and I still actually do joke that one of my favorite jobs, this is going completely sideways, I'm sorry. One of my favorite jobs in the world was mowing the lawn. Because it was the one job that stayed looking good for a couple of days. You know, you clean up the kitchen and two minutes later, you do the the dish or the dishes two minutes later, you do laundry two minutes later. But that's, uh, yeah, so it's kind of nice. Okay, let's talk talk sugar for a moment. It's the culprit of a number of health issues. Sorry, (laughs) I got a chirping thing on the next desk. I looked it up and there are dozens of different types of sugars, different names for sugars what okay first of all what do you use if you need a sweetener and second of all what do you say to those people who look at a label and go like crap I don't know okay and I I wrote it all down in this book so there there's a whole chapter on sugar substitutes and 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 I did one spread with the ingredients in my donut on the left which are like five six things and the ingredients in a popular drive-through donut chain donut on the right, which takes the whole page in very small type. Because the story is, if you need to read through the ingredients, don't eat it. If it has a list of ingredients that you're kind of struggling to, that's not real food. That's not food you want to be eating. You want If you want donuts, if you want brownies, if you want a cake, if you want yummy sweets, make them yourself with about six ingredients. Recipes are in the book. And I explain what my favorite sugar substitutes are because it's changed. You know, we, And I've so often in my life had to say to people, yeah, it's sugar-free. Go ahead and have one. And people will go, um, thank you. You know, yeah. because sugar-free had this horrible reputation for just not being good. And we now can choose from a number of really good sugar substitutes. I'm not mad about stevia. It's okay for some things, but I prefer monk fruit. It's often now mixed with erythritol, terrible name, good ingredient works. Allulose works very well. Chicory root is a brilliant sweetener, natural product. Very good. If you can find it, especially with with nothing else in it except chicory root. It's particularly good. And and a lot of this stuff you need to buy online. You don't necessarily walk into your grocery chain and buy it because they're still selling. Most grocery chains are still selling food the way big food sells food, which is appealing to your worst instincts. You're starving and they that you walk into the right of the grocery store and there's the bakery right? And you're smelling it. And then right around the corner is the hot food aisle with the fried chicken and the macro and you're smelling that. And so, and now in the front of the grocery store, they have the grab and go section with the food all in the little plastic thing where you just get it and you go, okay, my answer to all of that is no, 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 just no. I don't even go in those stores anymore because there's relatively little in there I want. You need to make it yourself. It's easy. 
but there's no there's no substitute for actually making your own food if you want to be healthy. Sorry. Here's a question for you insofar as like for me, I can go the rest of my life and never look at a cookie, never look at a brownie, any of that stuff. I prefer savory. So does as long as I'm cooking myself, like we, we can not even worry about that anyways, probably. Are there other foods that are, okay, you've said meat, it's a, it's a no-go for you. Are there other no-goes for you in terms of food? Or as long as we're making our food interesting at home, that works, I take it, perhaps. Yes? No? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, tell me the truth now, Agnes. What is it you're most concerned about? Because, yeah, if you're eating plant-based um, and you're eating real food, then there are whole categories of things that kind of don't qualify there. Um, and they are all in a bag or a box with a list of ingredients. So what, what are you most concerned about? What do you think in your own diet, maybe you could do better? Maybe you should think again about, is there anything that you're doing that you think, you know? Probably for me, it's the grains. Ah, oh, Okay. You know. Um, yes, they qualify as complex carbohydrates, but in terms of the, the waistline, whatever. And I mean, I'm, I'm doing okay. Okay. What particular grains, how do you eat grains? In what form do you eat grains? My grains, um, I do buy the occasional bag of pasta. I will admit that. Mm-hmm. Other than that, it's like whole grain bread and stuff like that. And once again, I've said I'm single. I know my, the best bet for me is probably to make my own. And yes, I have a bread maker sitting on the counter, but I buy a loaf of bread. It goes in the freezer because I'll use one slice at a time right. and I'm not going to throw it in the garbage. I, I have a picture in the book on one page of a loaf sliced of Acme Bakery in San Francisco's walnut sourdough loaf, which is absolutely divine. It's just such lovely bread. And so what I say is if you're going to eat bread, eat the very best bread you can find, make it good and make it one slice in a day because yeah, grain is tricky. And you know that people locally here are starting to grow heritage grains to make bread from and so on. If you can find products that are made from real wheat, old timey wheat, get it, eat it. But almost all the grain products that people do eat now are just crap. They're, they're not good food. So I would say, and I love pasta too. And so I do eat some brown rice pasta. I try and limit myself because it is a high glycemic food. So if you're going to eat something naughty, just make sure you pair it with something wonderful. Always eat some, some fat, some protein at the same time, and some veggies if you can at the same time. If you eat alone, it's tempting just to narf on that bread because there's nobody standing over you going, are you just going to narf on that bread? You know, you, you know, I know. Full disclosure, I used to teach wellness classes and I did grocery store tours for a local chain. 
And everything you've just said about the grains, I used to say about cheese as well. Is, you know, get yourself the very best cheese that you can afford and full of the flavor that you love. And then just slice it thin like like you don't have to. And it's okay to eat goat milk cheese or sheep's milk cheese. So feta and goat cheese, those are a different category altogether than the cow's milk cheeses that are in the grocery stores. Anything that is related to cow's milk, I would say is just a big, big problem for almost all of us. It, it plays havoc with your digestive system, with your weight, with everything. It, it's a problem because you don't have a cow out in your yard that you trust to eat grass and then give you real actual milk. That's not what the cheese is made out of. That's not what the milk products are in the store. They're, they're processed um, in a way that makes them very unhealthy. And so if you want cheese and, you know, feta is fantastic. I've got a couple of recipes in the book that include feta cheese because it's sharp. It has a lot of flavor. I was talking to somebody this morning and explaining that my son-in-law is Spanish. So manchego cheese, for example. Oh my gosh. So good. is, Is a staple. Yeah. 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 So yeah, if you're going to eat cheese, make it good, make it worthwhile, but don't make it a habit and make sure that you're not, I mean, what most Americans are eating is beige food all the time, hamburgers, you know, fried chicken, mashed potatoes and American cheese melted on everything. And none of that is food that will support life. (laughs) It just isn't. And what most of us need to do, and and in the book, I talk about how to eat greens three times a day or two times a day. You need to have a habit, a new habit. You need to have your little pot of parsley on the sink where you snip it off and put it in everything. And you need to have arugula in your life if you don't already. Do you you eat rocket lettuce or arugula? No, I must admit I'm not keen on arugula, but I've never heard heard of... Okay, rocket lettuce is I've what they call heard of rocket lettuce in England in in the British oh, okay. Okay. rocket lettuce. But arugula to me is one of the most fragrant, wonderful greens you can eat, and I eat it all the time, uh, a lot of it. Uh, but whatever form greens you will eat, maybe it's frozen spinach, you know, maybe it's cabbage. We eat a ton of cabbage in this house, and because I love the colors purple cabbage and light green cabbage mixed up with red bell peppers and orange and yellow bell peppers. So beautiful. And I'll have that on eggs and everything, whatever form, eat leafy stuff all the time. So that's a new habit for a lot of people. It's not that they don't like it or they don't think it's good. It's just not a habit because you need to plan for it. You need to have the cabbage and have the bell peppers. And then you need to think, oh, here's a meal I'm fixing for myself. There's nothing green or orange or red in it. That's not right. Color. You need color on every single plate that you eat. Good color, rainbow color. I find my vegetables also vary by season. So As it should be. Because we're much colder up here too. So I want those hearty stew type vegetables, even if I eat them raw, but those 
earthy vegetables during the winter. And then in the summer, of course, we get into the, the Greek salad kind of vegetables. Right. And one of the things that uh, is in my recipes, and in fact, a woman who did a, um, a review of my book took issue with the fact that I seem to love pumpkin so much. It's like, what's wrong with this woman? She's just crazy about pumpkin. Yes, I love pumpkin. It's magic food. It's a beautiful color. It lasts forever. It sits on your sink. You know, you can make all kinds of things out of it. And I use it in the book, like the brownies of the title brownies for breakfast are made from pumpkin, cocoa, nut butter. And, and I usually use almond butter um, and a few other ingredients, not many. You just throw it all in the bowl and mix it up. But the pumpkin is this magic way of replacing flour and oil. Who knew? It's brilliant. So do you uh, like cook it so it's a soft, malleable kind of? I just use canned pumpkin for that. Unless I happen to have a pumpkin that then, yes, you bake it and um, make it soft and then throw it in the blender. But yeah, it's so easy to get canned pumpkin. I just keep my larder full of it because I pull it out all the time for, for different things. Uh, there are a ton of things you can make with canned pumpkin. And also, you know, like other groups might say, instead of sugar, like if you're baking, you can use uh, applesauce or something like that, banana. So I, I rather think that the pumpkin adds, once again, a heartier flavor. It has it sweetness sweet. to it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, that would work for me for sure, because it's not as sweet as, as the others. Right. And you actually don't taste the pumpkin. And for example, in the brownie recipe, you have no, I would have to tell you that there was pumpkin in there. You didn't know that um, because all you're tasting is brownie chocolate and, you know, a certain amount of sweetness. Um, but pumpkin is great stuff. And I, I mean, sweet potatoes. Oh yeah. So good. Sweet potato fries that you bake in the oven. Oh my gosh. So good. So, so can I have your address, please? I'm going to come live with you. <laughs> Well, you come on down. Oh, you come and see me, Agnes. I <laughs> promise you, I will feed you well. Oh, I bet. Yeah, yeah. That's uh... okay. So many of the people in my life are vegetarian and vegans. I have vegans in my life. Mm-hmm. What sort of tips do you say to them, especially somebody who isn't going to pick up that manchego cheese or eat an egg? Or well, my book is written specifically for people who are vegan vegetarian or not. So it's basically vegan vegetarian. If you want to add some meat or add some eggs, you can, and I'll tell you how, but the, the book is largely about how to eat without meat because the thing that most of us are doing, if I may say wrong in our diets uh, in Canada, in America today is we're eating meat all the time and we're eating crappy factory farmed meat and people go well all i eat is chicken chicken is the most tainted meat you can eat it's the worst unless you have a neighbor raising chickens and and slaughtering the chickens and unless you really know that that chicken actually ate grass and worms and so on if you're eating factory farmed chicken which is virtually all the chicken that's available in the markets it is full of antibiotics. They actually pump it full of salt. And, and the probably chicken... growth hormone. Like, I don't know. Some of the chickens now are like ridiculously huge. Yeah. And so that's a big no. No. Just yeah. no. Yeah. 
No. So what I will say to vegan friends and, and vegetarian friends is you may already know this, but you can eat better than anybody because once you take the meat off your plate, now you're looking for more options and those options are going to be wonderful. They're colorful and they've got texture and they've got all these different flavors and you're going to experiment with spices and new ways to make things taste wonderful and you will eat better. You'll eat more variety, typically. The problem with many young vegans, particularly, is they eat sugar and processed flour. And it, you, you will not be nourished if that's what's going in. You need to eat actual real food as a vegan or a vegetarian. I will add one aside to young vegetarians, or young vegans, rather, is that in eating sugar, often the, the process of bleaching the sugar is actually from bone meal or something. So sugar can be not a vegan product. So, yeah, it's <laughs> all the little tricks that nobody knows. Right, right, right. If it's processed, you basically don't know what's in it. Or, the, or what that process was. Yeah. Right. Okay, I think our listeners will agree that health can't be gained by diet food alone. What other lifestyle habits do you have? You've talked about sleep. Mm -hmm. What other lifestyle habits do you have that contribute to your good health? Well, this one will be familiar to you. I take a class three, sometimes four times a week, up the road, two miles. There's a sweet little studio run by a wonderful woman who knows her stuff. So I do TRX and I do Matt Pilates. Um, she's bringing her reformer out again soon. And I love reformer Pilates also. So we do planks and we lift weights and, and we gossip and just have the best time. And we enjoy where we live because we're looking, she keeps it open. So we are kind of there in the redwoods. It, the movement is a huge part of it. And the social life is a huge part of it. I'm a believer in both. And as women of a certain age, it's easy sometimes to just stay quiet, stay home, you know, not get out there. And I probably, had I not committed to be there at a certain time, three or four days a week, I would find excuses, you know, because boy, you get out of bed and you think, well, I just, I don't know if I can do this. And you put your clothes on, you go, I don't know. This is really, I'm, you know, the limbs. And even walking up there and getting and getting on that mat, I think, golly, am I going to be, and then you do it. And then three quarters of the way through, you're going, look at me, I'm doing this. You know, it's okay. And then you're done and you feel a thousand percent better than you did when you got there. And certainly when you got out of bed, <laughs> you had your <laughs> doubts, right? But the movement gets everything going. I mean, a hot bath helps too, but you got to keep your buns moving. I have a little treadmill over here too, which I don't use as often as I would like to think I use, but I do use it uh, because it, it, it means I don't have to go outside with the mountain lions and stuff. I can stay right in here where it's warm and cozy and do a little 20, 30 minute walk, which is all it takes. You don't need to go out there and run a marathon. Although if you want to, that's great. I'm all about it. 
but it you just especially as a diabetic type 2 diabetic you can if you get on that treadmill after you eat you can watch your blood sugar come down i mean it that's how you clean your system out that's how you keep your blood glucose regulated is just walking at a decent little pace so did i did i i, I think i answered the question so it's movement <laughs> for sure regular movement and some people say it has to be enough to get your heart rate up and to get panting. Well, sort of, I guess, but just moving your buns and having fun doing it. Well, I think too, you know, there, there's this big push for meditation and, and all that stuff. But if you can get out walking and find a park to walk through and like yeah. just get, get that greenery around you, you know, your, your killing starts with bones. And uh, yeah, perfect. And if you've got a dog, fine. If not, find a friend, somebody. It is so lovely to walk with a pal. Uh, and sometimes it's the effort to send them a little note and say, you want to walk and so on, but so worth it. A way to keep touch with people. That's a joy for me is to walk with a pal. That's great. Well, and we're just coming off two years of pandemic, you know, so once again, in order to be social, to, to get that social fix, to be outside walking is ideal. It's the best. Yeah. And I'm a horsewoman too. I don't, my, my mare, unfortunately, left the earthly plane in October. She's gone. But I know there are many other women out there like me who just always were horse crazy. And I don't think we ever get over it. And so they are also, even if you're not riding, if you're just out walking your horse or grooming your horse or whatever, it's a great way to be in touch with the outdoors and with the great universe and move. You know, there are lots of ways to get out and move. Yeah. Okay. You've been alluding to the book all through. You've given us lots of tips about what's in it. Talk to us about brownies for breakfast. I love the name of it. <laughs> well, thank you. And, and the whole point is that good health, good, healthy eating, it's not deprivation. It's joyful. It tastes great. It looks great. It's fun. It's happy. And, you know, we, we still have this kind of, I don't know, leftover feeling about health food being an icky thing. No, no, no. You know, it's good. It's easy. And even if you're doing it by yourself uh, in your own little kitchen somewhere, it can still be fun and rewarding and sweet. And that was my mission in doing the book. I want people to enjoy their food, enjoy their meals. And if you can find somebody to share your food with, that's a healthy habit too. Whether you're delivering it to somebody who could use a, a kind of loving hot meal or just putting some in the freezer in case, whatever. Um, there's no way around the fact that you cannot be fully healthy unless you prepare your own food most of the time. So that's what I'm all about. And that's what the book is all about. And it's called Brownies for Breakfast, a cookbook for diabetics and the people who love them. So kind of a sneaky way of saying that's all of us, right? It's everybody, because if it's good for diabetics, it's good for everybody. Good. And where do people buy the book? Amazon. 
Um, and you can get it in paperback or download it or get it. I, I recommend the hardback because then you can stand it up in your kitchen and use it or your independent bookseller. If you ask for it, they can get it for you from their wholesaler, which of course we all want our independent booksellers to survive and so on. And so, and that helps me um, spread the word. If you tell your bookseller, it's a great book and I got to get it and you should have it and so on. They will order it for you. Oh, that's good. Can I hold that's it up good. now? I don't know if it. <laughs> I want to see it. Sure. Here, there. There it is. Nice square is. square book with brownies yeah. on the front, chocolate. Brownies. Yeah, and <laughs> we we spent a lot of time making it beautiful. Oh, wonderful. My friend, dear friend, and designer Elise Huffman did a great job on it because we wanted you to understand how yummy it all was. And yummy is, you know, you have to feed your eyes along with your gut. And then there's pictures of my farmhouse and oh, lovely. friend. So a little peek into my life and my dogs, Agnes, there they are. <laughs> how many cookbooks do you know have dogs in them? And somewhere in here, there's a picture of a weasel. I forget exactly where that is. Um, and Okay, here's emergency smoked salmon, because we all know what happens when somebody says, I'm in town. Can I come over? Yeah, sure. And they'll be so impressed when you pull this out. And here's the popcorn of the gods. I was going to say, yeah, yeah. Okay, there's a meal for you, girl, all by yourself. Yeah, <laughs> heavenly. So good. So, yes, ma'am, you had a question for me. I did. Oh, I was going to say that <laughs> I read a review that I, with all due respect, I think the reviewer might have meant it as a complaint, but I went fabulous because they said there was a whole bunch of information in there before they got to the actual recipes. And I've still got a cookbook that I, I don't think, well, there's only one thing I cook out of it anymore. I've had it since 1971. But it has got so much good information in it that I still have this cookbook. So once again, it's not just recipes. It sounds like it's got like a ton of great info in there as well. It uh, it does. And stories. <laughs> so yes, I, I it, and it's dedicated to my granddaughter, Helen, who's now 14, because um, my daughter said, why don't you write it for her and just tell her how you do and why you do so, so it's a grandma book in that way. But I, and I know just the review you're talking about, because it was one that just went up, Agnes. And, and she, she said, well, it's well-written and this and that. And it has a, but, but she gave me like one star. Oh, no, I think she gave you three. Because <laughs> oh, <laughs> it was okay. like five star, five star. And I went, oh, well, what's going on uh, that somebody would yeah. drop it to a three? But yeah, so as I say, it was, it was a review that for me, bumped it up to like six stars <laughs> so. okay well there's there's lots of yeah, information no, in good. there for anybody who is looking for good operations in the kitchen how to how to update your kitchen what to keep what not to keep and some i, I include ingredients that you may never have heard of that are really handy and good to have i don't know a lot of stuff in there i hope that is helpful to people because food isn't just food, you know, food is a lot of things. So, yeah. And we have to yeah. remember that. I'm glad you mentioned your granddaughter and sort of doing the book for her because like the, the grandma book, my daughter who has a four-year-old and a two-year-old daughter, 
was reading a grandma book to them just recently, a week or two ago. And she finished the book and they just looked at her and they had this sort of puzzled, half-disgusted look on their face going, that's not grandma. Because the grandma in the book was that round little woman with the bun on her hair. Old lady. (laughs) And of course, you know, your grandchildren do not know that grandma either. So, uh, so that's okay. No, ma'am. They don't. (laughs) Uh, no. <laughs> okay, so one of my questions on here is, um, what is Old Dog Farm? That's my place. It's it's an old. The only thing we've really been terribly successful with growing is old dogs. <laughs> um, so, so that's hence the name. Um, I mean, we we grow a lot of stuff, but my husband and I are always experimenting. We are want to be sort of farmers, but we're, you know, struggling to, to learn what we need to know. Our fava beans did very well this year. And, and we have raised beds full of greens and things that we eat every day. We have apple trees and pear trees. Uh, and these are the best pears you've ever eaten in your life because they're old timey pears before they bred them to be shipped anywhere. So they're very delicate, but the flavor is just unbelievable. And we have blackberries growing wild all over the place. And, um, and then we have a back garden that's got rhubarb and a bunch of stuff in it. So that's Old Dog Farm. Sounds fabulous. Okay, before we wrap, is there anything we haven't talked about that you think boomer women should know, need to know? Oh, there are probably a lot of things. I, what I'm working on now that's fascinating to me, and I'm, I'm working with Dr. Selma Rashid, who has done a great deal of work in the hormone segment. And she, uh, I'm helping her finish her book because as boomer women, we kind of were sold a bill of goods about hormones. We were told they were dangerous ineffective and this and that. And surprise, surprise, that was mostly guys doing the research. And the real story is that bioidentical estradiol and progesterone can help you build bone and muscle and can help you with your blood glucose. It, it, it has this whole range of benefits for women which we've been missing out on because we were told that the estrogen was going to give us cancer and ladies, not true. And the research is all there, but we were kind of told upside down and backwards information about this. So, um, and I'm not the only person out here talking about this now and Selma is not, but she is an MD. I'm not. But we'll be teaming up to tell women what the scoop is about hormone replacement therapy. It's a very hopeful story and one that as we, as a cohort, age into our centenarian years, we need to know about this. We need to know about anything that is going to keep us strong and healthy. And we don't need to have brittle bones like we thought. And, and so I, it's a huge story. 
Um, there was just a big one in Washington Post yesterday, the day before about this very thing. Uh, like, ladies, come on. This, you know, uh, and, and it's because there's this huge cohort of us. I think that this information is coming out and some of the MDs that have been out in the, in the business now for 20, 30 years, women are, are coming together going, hey, we know some stuff. And you ladies need to know about this stuff too, because the guys aren't going to tell you, you know, they're not interested, right? So I think that's exciting. And, and I, I hope next time we talk, I have more specific information about that, that I can share with everybody. So if I get on your mailing list, you would be notifying, I mean, it sounds like you send out tips and things like that, but you would probably notify your list when all that starts happening. Yes. I, I will. And I don't send stuff out every week. I try and only send stuff that I'm really excited about because I don't want to just be in your inbox, another nuisance in your inbox. But yes, if you go on lynnbowman.com and sign up on Lynn's list, uh, it's right on the front page. It, it should be on the landing page when you open it up. And it's L-Y-N-N-E-B-O-W-M-A-N. And sign up on my list. Then I will send you news updates as I have them. I will also send you really good recipes when I invent something new um, or find some product that I think is amazing. I'll send that out. So yes. And there's also a place, a contact thing where you can get in touch with me. If you just want to send me a note, ask me a question. I, I look forward to that. I like hearing from people about how the recipes work for them or didn't work for them or questions, anything. Right. Okay, so lynnbowman.com. Um, any social media that mm-hmm. we should? Uh... It's all on that. If That's the easiest way to find. I mean, my, my author name is Lynn Parmeter Bowman, P-A-R-M-I-T-E-R. But that's hard to remember. If you go on my website, that's all there. So you'll see what my Facebook and Instagram and uh, I've got a YouTube page with all kinds of YouTubes on it. And so, yeah, it's easy to find and out there. But the the one one point of communication that's the easiest is my website. Okay. So I will make sure that link is in the show notes. And listeners, check out the website. Take a tissue. You'll be drooling when you see some of the pictures on there. (laughs) (laughs) If you have comments on today's show, you can leave them where you're listening. And of course, we can be found at Apple or iHeartRadio, Spotify. Most places, a person would listen to podcasts. And of course, there's always the website, twoboomerwomen.com. To leave your comments there, click the Join the Conversation tab. Leave stars and reviews. They help us grow. And before you go, hit the subscribe or follow button, and you'll be notified about future interviews with more of my great guests. And share this episode with two friends who need to know more about healthy lifestyle. Type 2 diabetes is all too common amongst our demographic. If you want to be a guest on the podcast or know someone who would, there's an application form at the website. Lynn Bowman, thank you so much for being my guest and sharing a lot of great information. And it was a great conversation. Thank you. Thank you, Agnes. This is so much fun. And please stay in touch. I shall do that. Have a great rest of week. Thank you. Thank you.